igniting original concepts. You felt like you were really making a difference for them. Why wouldn't you do that? The biggest challenge that you have is not to... You're going to have disruptions all the time. If you want something different, you have to be willing to do something different. You're listening to Forest FM, the salon business show with your host, Zoe Galilla Springer. For your industry, by your industry. Should we talk about artificial intelligence? I'm not sure if you've noticed it, but it's kind of everywhere at the moment. Progression in the field has jumped forward decades, with the best example of this being ChatGPT, right? It took Netflix 41 months to reach 1 million users. Facebook, 10 months. Instagram, one and a half month. And then comes along a chatbot, which you can converse with and ask anything, bearing in mind its knowledge cutoff of September 2021. And this chatbot crosses 1 million users in just five days. ChatGPT can write code, interpret unstructured data and give it back to you structured, summarize important points from text documents, create art, documents on any subject, write blog posts, generate formulas, write poems, product descriptions, video scripts, and analyze data. Its most recent update even allows for someone to draw a picture of a website mockup, send it to ChatGPT, and ask it to generate the code needed to build that website. The one, and I believe the only time we talked about AI on Forest FM was in 2021, in the context of a conversation with Richard Kavanagh, Australian-based salon owner and co-founder of Peak Digital, during which we discussed how AI could help enhance the salon experience, and more specifically, the consultation process. Even back then, there were already fears among hair and beauty professionals about the potential for job loss or reduced demand for their services due to AI technology. And today, it seems as though those fears are still very much present in some ways. But if you ask the now infamous chatbot, ChatGPT, about it, it'll tell you this. It's important to note that while these fears exist, the widespread adoption of AI in hairdressing is not imminent or likely to completely replace human hairdressers. Instead, AI technology is more likely to be used as a tool to support and enhance the work of hairdressers, aiding them in various aspects of their profession rather than fully replacing them. So why do we find ourselves apprehending something that could help or assist us in our work? Is the resistance rooted in fear of the unknown, fear of failure, and even fear of success? Or is it a protective mechanism to maintain the status quo? Resistance to change can happen in individuals, interpersonal relationships, and within businesses and organizations alike. As creatures of habit, change by its very nature disrupts humans' comfortable routines and challenges our established beliefs. Our brains are wired to conserve energy, and change often demands mental and emotional exertion. And so our brain's natural inclination for efficiency can actually work against us when it comes to embracing change, leading to resistance as a quote-unquote self-preservation response to a stress trigger. This episode won't actually be focused on AI, but I thought it would illustrate things well. Perhaps you even noticed the feeling of resistance in yourself as you were listening. One of the most difficult parts of any change effort is getting buy-in. Sometimes that buy-in is within others, but often it lies right there within us. And as Drew Weston in The Political Brain and Malcolm Gladwell in Blink have illustrated, our attitudes on issues and situations are instantaneously affected by intuition and emotion. Which brings me to the elephant and rider analogy, which we'll be talking about quite a bit in today's episode. Popularized by psychologist Jonathan Haidt in his book The Happiness Hypothesis, 
The metaphor is often used to describe the relationship between our rational conscious mind and our emotions and instincts. And never one to wait for changes to happen in the industry, getting the writer and the elephant writing together in sync is something that Greg Clark, today's guest, has become very well versed in over the years. The mind works better if you treat it like a parachute. It works better when it's open. And I just find that I have a very open mind. I know it's a bit of a metaphor, keep it simple, stupid, but I find the older I'm getting and the more in life, I kind of go, things are simple. We sometimes overcomplicate an awful lot of situations. And sometimes it's where the other parents, person's hat, and then we realize it from their side of view, and then it softens it. So there is a reason why they got annoyed, and you're getting annoyed back. But if you actually said, well, if I was on that side, would I be annoyed? You know, be aware of what's happening around you all the time. So that you're able to, before something becomes a big elephant, you might actually be able to move the little elephant. (laughs) And, and, And then it's not such a big thing. Greg Clark has been working in the professional hairdressing industry for 38 years as a stylist, salon owner, product distributor, educator, podcaster, and key negotiator for the industry in Ireland. In fact, he became a member of the Irish Hair Federation Executive Committee 18 years ago out of a desire to be part of a group of like-minded people who made change happen. In 2012, he proudly took on the role of president of the IHF and in 2013 founded the IHF Hair and Business Hubs. During his two-year term, he, along with the committee, worked tirelessly to get the government to reduce the VAT rate on hairdressing from 13.5% to 9%, which helped a lot of salons stay in business during the global recession. One of the biggest changes he and his wife made happen in their own business, though, was to rebrand the salon, formerly known as Collage Hair Group, to Amica Eco Hairdressing as a means to complement the salon's mission of being a more sustainable eco-business. Self-proclaimed frontrepreneur, Greg Clark has always followed the do something you love and you'll never work another day in your life mantra and says he found that in the hairdressing industry. He currently sits on the board and committee of Habic and Image Skillnet as he believes he has a duty to help protect and develop the industry that has been so good to him for generations to come. Today, Greg joins me on Forest FM to discuss the meaning behind a tattoo he got at a recent salon business conference, what he feels most passionate about when it comes to the hair and beauty industry, handling change and resistance to change, tackling situations head on and as early as possible, navigating working with different generations of employees, and reinventing yourself. So without further ado, welcome to Forest FM, Greg. It's a pleasure to have you on. My favorite saxophone player, how you doing? Well, I wouldn't say favorite, but I'm, I'm doing really, really good, Zoe. You've been too kind to be there. There's a few people in this world that would say, Jesus, take that off. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm feeling great, great to see you as usual. Always enjoy a bit of time with yourselves and the Forest people. Absolutely. It's very, feelings very mutual. I always look forward to chatting with you. Your energy is immaculate. Um, To prove my point, actually, or to back it up, I want to start off with something um, that maybe not a lot of people know, but I know because you've told me already. um, You recently left a salon business education conference with nothing less but a tattoo. And it was an elephant with a stick man on its back. So what's the story there? I know you said in the past that, you know, you got into the industry, you wanted you wanted to look cool, you wanted to wear cool clothes and all that. So what does this tattoo mean for you? Okay, well, let's start beginning. The tattoo that I have is not cool. <laughs> it's, it's, it's cute. It's cute because I have a tattoo on my left arm that I got when I was 50 
and it took eight months of negotiating with the guy because it was the telling the story of my life. Saxophone, hair, hairdressing scissors, it had to be left-handed, had to be the music, had to look like hair flowing. Yeah. I had to the top of it, the, the script had to be a certain font, cut to the music. This one was just something that now that I'm 10 years older, that if it feels right, you just do mm. it. And I wanted, I have three grandchildren now, I don't, that could go tomorrow in another few years, who knows? And I wanted to keep it with that they would look at it and find it a bit of fun. So it's a simple little elephant that I seen on on Google the day of the event. But thanks to the amazing Sophia Hilton, who ran not another business course. And it wasn't just another business course because I left with a tattoo. <laughs> and I think uh, the lady I'd ever see her really most things you know she's fairly out there kind of person but she seemed to be a bit ecstatic about this L guy stepping up and queuing up to get a tattoo so the reason behind it is the elephant with the stick man is from a philosophy book i've read the righteous mind which i think you've brushed on mm -hmm. yourself and not to use the the what the author goes into where he uses it. I tried it when so when Sophie asked us to come up with symbols because she works a lot with symbols. I came up and I just said, look, my symbol is an elephant head with a stick man on it, but I'm not going to show you because I'm terrible at drawing. <laughs> but the, the philosophy behind it is, is that when I face situations now, the first thing I think is this stick man riding the elephant moment. Mm. And basically certain situations that over the years, and maybe I've mellowed or I look at it differently. Now, when I look at it, I kind of go, okay, how can I make the elephant? Because basically what the author was saying is that if you take this, the whole situation is the elephant. Yeah. What you're trying to do, if you say to the elephant, go right, and he's going left, and you say, go right, he ain't going right, because he's an elephant. Yeah. You're not going to make that big elephant move. And then if you slap him and say, move, he doesn't even feel the slap. He's an elephant. Yeah. So he ain't going to feel it. It's the only way you're ever going to get the elephant to move is you either move with him and go that direction or you make the elephant feel that the right thing is to move in the direction you want him to go. Mm. So that might mean a little bit, but I always feel a project or something that's not going right. If you can get that other person to buy into something because they feel it's the right thing, or it's the right thing for them. It's half the battle. Yeah. And you know that they have your back and they're with you on it rather than the old dragging it over. And let's face it, it ain't easy to drag an elephant. So oh, yeah, that's what we often not. feel. Yeah. We all face them every day in work, whether it be with a team member, whether it would be with a supplier, you know, whether it be just with a, a guest in the salon. We face these situations every day. So now I look at them and go, okay, elephant moment here. Mm. How are you going to handle that? So I just thought, wordy to get it on my inside arm, this little elephant. And uh, eventually, who knows, there might be a, an apparel clothing line out there with an elephant and a stick man on it. I'll be looking out for that. <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll get it moving, yeah, and we'll work it on. But I think I, uh, the one funny moment that was when the tattoo artist was doing it, he said to me, well, I said, look, my, my tattoo is an elephant. And he goes, hey, you're the elephant man. I loved what you said there. And I went, you're probably too young to understand, but that's a movie, The Elephant Man. Yeah. Look it up. Yeah. I think I, just call me this stick, man. I really don't think I want to be John Mary, to be honest oh, with you. And he was man. looking at me and dad. I went, look it up, look it up. <laughs> you know? So that's that's the whole thing. And, and it's, it. it works well with me. And I, I try and find keeping it. I know it's in a, a bit of a metaphor, keep it simple, stupid. But I find the older I'm getting in the morning life, I kind of go, 
things are simple. We sometimes overcomplicate an awful lot of situations. Yeah. And sometimes it's where the other parents, person's hat and then we realize it from their side of view and then it softens it. So there is a reason why they got annoyed and you're getting annoyed back. But they actually said, well, if I was on that side, would I be annoyed? Mm. You know? So I, I, I've been very, very lucky in life that I've had some great mentors. I've had some great people that I've followed that have been on the end of a phone for me or, you know what I mean? I could yeah. coerce them, meet me for a coffee and burn the ear off them to get. So Gandalfs, as I called some of them, you know what I mean? They're wise men. Yeah. But now what I find is I'm getting older. I am becoming the older man. So <laughs> I'm tending to look. I'm looking behind and what I'm, I'm getting so inspired, like the likes of Sophia, mm. like recently on my own podcast, I interviewed Daniel Garner. They're, they're the young, vibrant salon owners that are doing things their way. Yeah, and I keep saying that to people. If, if you know their their way is the way, because when I looked at the audience with Sophia, they loved that. But the mm -hmm. message was the same message I would have got twenty five years ago with three six five. I would have got fifteen years ago with a fantastic hairdresser. It's just now delivered by somebody that they that that audience feel. Yeah, she understands me, you know? Yeah. So they don't want my old craggy face. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to get back to the, the generational differences and, and the mm. elephant metaphor. But before we do, I, I do also want to ask you a question that you will probably have been asked in your maybe very early stages of your career, like when you were building out your column and your clientele, right? So you've worked in the professional hairdressing industry for what, 38 years at this stage or something? 38 years, yeah. 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 And you've been- Didn't, Never worked, never worked. Never just worked. played. Yes, you've always had fun. You're a fun, fun entrepreneur. Um, yeah. So, but, but I haven't been found out. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know, you've had many roles in the industry throughout your career. You've been a stylist, salon owner, product distributor, educator, negotiator. So I guess the question is, what do you love doing in this industry and what are your favorite things about it? And how does that answer today differ to the answer that you would have, you know, given when you first started your career building out your clientele? Okay. So there's two ways of looking at that. Uh, I believe that there's two types of hairdresser. The older I've got, there's, there's the person that's like my wife or Danielle Gardner, that's they, they naturally loved hair. They played with hair. And when I interviewed people on my own podcast, they'd, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm hairdressing found me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and to me, I, I think they're they're the real craftspeople. And can you become them? No, but you can become your own version of it. And that's when muscle memory kicks in. In other words, I love, what I real now is, realize now is like the biggest buzz I got out of hairdressing was meeting people mm. and was making people as Alan Austin Smith came out, make people feel good and about themselves. Well, I just felt, yeah, when I remember reading Alan's book and I'm thinking, hey, that's me. You know what I mean? Because I had to learn. And my earliest manager, Peter, said to me, you can't just hang around here, Greg. You have to learn. And that's when I, there was two nights classes. I'd done three. I remember I was a young painter and decorator when I started and I went into hairdressing and I used to go on my day off and work painting. Two, I'd get through two houses of ceilings, a lot of work, looking up in the air oh, yeah quick cycle home shower in into town try and get an hour with my friend mark mccauley who was teaching in peter mark academy mark would show me some stuff look at this person look at that person then go up to training classes and do it so i immersed myself like somebody said jesus you're at everything that's and i went yeah well i have to because that's how i'm gonna learn 
And I learned it through repetition, repetition, to eventually I came good at it. So I, as a like competitive hairdresser, I always said I competed up till I became a manager in Peter Mark. And then I thought my job is to make other people better and help the guide their journey. So I was always the bridesmaid and never the bride when it came to competitions. I never right. got first. I got second, I got third, I got fourth. So I always felt, well, the people that come first must be the my wife, the, the natural <laughs> talented people that see right. something more. I'm only able to bluff my way to there. But to me, with the real love of the industry has always been mm. people. The people I work with and the people in the chair in front of me and the diversity of everybody's work life and, and, and how in awe that a solicitor and I was said, I'd love him to do that, your job. That how lucky we are to yeah. be in this job because not a lot of jobs are as, as entertaining, but I feel you have to be an entertainer to be in it because right. you wouldn't last. The same as somebody on stage wouldn't last if they didn't enjoy acting or changing roles. Yeah. You know what I mean? Somebody that just wants to be typecast in one role, you're not going to be a great actor. You know, so to me, hairdressing is your are on stage. It is a stage. Most yeah. people are in it and in it for a long time. They love it, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's obviously where your passion lies today. Were you just as passionate about that at the start of your career? I think, yeah, I think because I, I didn't come into hairdressing. Back in the 80s in Ireland, the average hairdresser started at 16 and 17. Right. I was 21 when I started. Yeah. And that was unheard of. Like, I was looked at like an alien, you know, but I looked, I looked apart. You know what I mean? I had the sure 1980s long fringe going on, the earrings, the whole lot going on, the skinny little moustache or whatever. So it's, it, to me, it's the job, it's never been, a, I've just been very lucky in that. And I always say, you make your own luck to extent because you have to, if you're happy in work, it resonates around the people who want to sit in the chair. That's true. And as I often say to the stylists, even now, I, I, I was only had a recent conversation a while ago with um, Carl Keaton from Peter Mark, and I said, the training we got in Peter Mark was amazing. It was amazing. But I think it, it was of its time. Now, it's probably changed since then. I'm not in Peter Mark. But I felt we were taught one size fits all. Yeah. So you were taught everything. And whoever came through the door, if you were next, because we didn't have online, we didn't have forest. Didn't have online booking then and looking at profiles to you know for a client to fit the best person. They got whoever was next. So now I, I look. I, I had a young stylist graduated last week, and for the first ever time graduation where we used to do produce seven models. I said, "Are you going to do a gent?" And she says, "Well, I don't really do gents. I don't really want to do gents." And I went, "Well, okay, then you don't. Want, so you don't want to do really short hair." Yeah. No. Okay, that's fine. But well, but can I do a model with extensions? We never had, we've never had that in a graduation. I went, yeah, of course you can. Because is that where you see your column filling? Yeah. Mm. Well, then your graduation day is to f show me these, this is the work that's going to fill this column for you, Greg, and for me. Because I said, at the end of the day, now I feel we, we, show, we expose you to every area of hairdressing. Yeah. And when it comes to your graduation, you now have to decide what, what, can I fill it? Because you have to fill it. You can't have white space. I always say the biggest, the trick now, because it's so colorful with forest and that, is to clear up the white space. So to fill up the white space, but fill it up with what you love doing. Because if you love doing it, you're going to do it really well. That's and people true. are going to come back and you're going to, you're going to enjoy it instead of the old way, whereas you sometimes got, like with, for me, it was the little old lady with the set rollers in. 
Mm. Somebody come in, Greg, there's a lady up there with a set. Oh, please, Jesus. Oh, no. I didn't know. Now, God, if there was a little old lady with a set, I'd do it no problem. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it, you've overcome that fear. It's not a big deal. But So now I find that younger hairdressers, it's short haircuts in there in, because barbers have become so good that a lot of the men's that they would have gravitate towards the barber industry. So we have a very small percentage coming through salons as such so their experience of getting to do really short haircuts so they're nervous of it but then I'd say that's no problem but fill up the space with what you like doing if that happens to be mermaid hair down the back with lovely balayage and ombre with extensions in and great do that yeah But, but, but make sure whatever you choose to do you can pay your bills drive a nice car go on a holiday but that's it. So, I, I, you know, the generational gap now is, is I love the young hairdressers of today. I think they're amazing mm. because they're very confident to tell you what they want to do. That's very true. Whereas when yeah. we were we were younger, we were a little bit, I won't say re- maybe repressed or as uh, Sophia said, uh, uh, Sophia said years ago, you were told, you know, she put up a line, speak when you're, and then you have to fill out the gaps when you're spoken to. Mm. Now she said, speak your truth. The only thing I would have about speaking your truth after reading The Righteous Mind is with this device, because we're on an iPad or a phone in your hand, what is your truth? Because it's very hard to really nail down what your truth is. That's not influenced by the algorithms that are coming through on your phone. So your views can be shifted just by watching. And if you watch three things, even though you might not be into them, the algorithms are going to fire more of them. <laughs> it's it's like Forrest is a very clever tool for helping us generate <laughs> business to our business. Yeah. I love that. You know what I mean? But yeah. the phone and the iPad and all that, there's a lot of bad stuff about it that I think young people have to be a bit nervous of. You know what I mean? Mm. I want to bring you back to the book because you mentioned the you mentioned the righteous yeah. mind again. And in that book, the author, uh, Jonathan Haidt, highlights the tension between our struggle of being for or against. And I think that mm. with the general kind of discourse around generational gaps and stuff, there's there's that tension that I can recognize there. Like, it's like, you know, we're for this old way of doing things or this new way of doing things or we're against it. You know, there's like that point of tension. So what what do you think is holding many of us back from simply all, you know, getting along and welcoming new ways of doing things? I got, I'll give you a quote that I got somewhere, I don't know where I got it, because I always like, I attend everything, so I pick up bits and then sometimes I can't remember where I got them. But a mind works better if you treat it like a parachute. It works better when it's open. Mm. So keep your mind, so if you work, a parachute works better when it's open and your mind works better when it's open. And I just find that I have a very open mind, you know what I mean? So in yeah. situations, even what I've, I've learned with my own children now, is that I, I, and I think it was a friend of mine, Duncan, said to me, he said, he, and I got the quote from him, he said to me, would you like my opinion on that? And I really liked that. And, and instead of actually saying, here's my opinion, because years ago, my mom gave her, her opinion. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that was it. And, you, know, you shouldn't do that. You know what I mean? Or why, you, you know, no, actually, she loved the idea of me becoming a hairdresser because she was thinking how much it was going to save on her own hair. My dad thought it was a bit of a strange job for a painter and decorator to become a hairdresser. You know, in later life, they both passed away in the last year and a half and both had amazing lives. And I think they realized that 
hairdressing was a great industry for me to get into and it served me well, you know yeah. what I mean? And it served my children well and it served them well in the end, <laughs> you know, because they were looked after in that care home. They, their own little, I'll tell you a little funny story. One day my mom and dad both ended up with dementia and uh, we were in the little salon they had and my mom turned around to me, she looked around and she goes, is this your place, Greg? And I went, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, just, God, it's not very busy, is it? <laughs> I went, no, no. Where's all the girls? Where's all the girls and the guys? Where are, where's everybody? Oh, they're all off today, ma'am. It's Monday. It was Friday, but what's the point? Yeah. Then she turned around and said, are you doing his hair today? I said, my dad. And she goes, yeah. I said, well, what am I doing? I only cut his hair last week. And she goes, a blow dry. You give him a blow dry. So in jest, when you, you know, turned to my dad. So daddy, you having a blow dry? What? He was a bit deaf. <laughs> what? And I went, you having a blow dry? And he went, Ah, yeah, sure, I'll have a blow dry. And I went, there you go, knock the ball out of the park there, Dad. 87 years of age, and you're getting your hair blow dried on a Friday. Isn't that great? <laughs> so, so there's no, like, to me, the generation yeah. gap between my mom and dad is that they were very open. My, my mom and dad were very open-minded. Mm. My mom and dad never questioned the fact that I came in with earrings and bleach blonde hair or, or mad, or, or, or robbed my sister's blouse out of the dress, out of her room because that's what was in. Mm. They just said, I always remember my dad saying, Asher, look, at when we were young lads into rock and roll, sure, what well, our parents didn't. And that always stuck with me. And I always say that you will never, you don't get the people of today unless you, the young people of today, unless you are them. Mm. But as a senior person, you have to learn how to live in their world because their world isn't changed to suit yours because they've more of it ahead of them than you have. Yeah. And it's back to, to the 4,000 week situation. <laughs> you know? Do you want me to go into that? But well, that's for another day. You know? Yeah. So listen, speaking of being open-minded and welcoming change, a few weeks back when you and I were talking over the phone, you told me how your approach to meetings and one-to-ones with staff had changed. Can you tell me more about what that looks like now in your salon? See, I suppose it depends on the size of your organization and your business. You know what I mean? And there was a time in my life I wanted to have five or six salons. And I wanted to be the the man floating around them all and running them. And then the thing came, the global recession came in 2008. And I realized, Do you know what? I actually just want to have one salon. And that that's my that's mm-hmm. my guitar. You know what I mean? And, and let's focus on that. And went back to one. So I find in a smaller situation, it's like a family. And everybody is a bit of connection. So there's always time during this, especially now where I don't do as much behind the chair. Yeah. But I always say to people, I'm a co-worker. I've changed the word now. And I say that there are two managers in their salon. And generally they're the salon coordinators because they actually are the managers. They manage how everything flows through the business from the online, yeah. from the guests coming in. And now I find I'm a co-worker. I'd rather say the days I'm behind the chair with you I work alongside you. So, you know, young lad that's in the second year with me, Aaron said, when do I get away from the basins? And I says, okay, well, what can you do away from the basins? And he went, well, I said, so is your, did you pass your color? Well, I just, when was the last time you got real modeling? When was the last time you got that? Yeah, okay, okay, I'd love you to move away from the basins, but I can't move you away, can't do anything else. But let me tell you this, you're seriously shit hot at the basins because look at the money, the tips you're getting. I said, so you're great there, but you want to move away from there. You have to find other skills for you to do. So 
You know, in your training class, when I say to you about not everybody's a mannequin head, we can't teach you how to do everything on a mannequin head. So try and get mm. some real models in. And he went, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it now. And, and, and that, that was my one-to-one with him. But what were we doing at the time? We were both rinsing bowls with the sink. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes I know, I, I get to know all the individuals that work within their, their business. And then I look at them all and I say, okay, well, what works with that person? What works with that? Whereas I feel generic, just do a one-to-one, one-to-one. And then people start going, Let, let's have a one-to-one. And you go, well, what are we talking about? And what, why are we having this one-to-one? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and, you yeah. know what I mean? And, and in the world we live in today, I just feel that the, 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 where it's so great there's some little things that have changed and we have to embrace the change. It's that if, yeah. if the relationship's not working, you know, I say it to people now when I train them, look, here's the one thing. See, when you walk here, yeah, I don't have a ball and chain on your leg. All I try and do is create a space for you to look forward to coming in, look after your guests. I don't pay your wages. The guests pay your wages. I'm just an unpaid tax collector that's in the middle that takes the money off them puts it through the mixer, sends a bit off to the revenue and pay you on the other end. But that's what we try. So if we ever feel it's time to move, all I ask is you do it respectfully. Because my mother taught me one lesson when I moved. Every job I was ever going to leave, she said, "Don't why are you leaving that good job? Because every job is a good job. Because the woman came from a very poor background and a time when just to have a job was a great thing. Yeah. And she said to me, make sure you leave that door, that door open behind you. Another, and don't have a hit your arse on the way out. Because she said, make sure you do it with respect. Yeah. And I'll tell you, at the moment today, I spent my last half hour today in my parents' home because it's sold, they both passed away, and the keys are being handed over. I shed a tear on my own, and I wanted to be on my own there. And on leaving, I said to them, thanks to both of you, because you didn't have a lot of money to give us, but you gave us some seriously good standards uh, manners and education that stood to myself and my four sisters for the rest of our lives and that's the main that's the impact you have on people so i don't know i digress there please <laughs> no no it's all right but i want to bring i want to bring the book up uh, you know briefly again uh, because yeah. it is actually based on three principles right he says that intuitions come first strategic reasoning second Second principle would be that there's more to morality than harm and fairness. And the third principle of his is morality binds and blinds. And whether you believe all of those, you know, to be true or not, that's not exactly what I'm trying to get to. But what I'm interested in knowing is because he gives central metaphors to each one of those principles, what about the elephant metaphor made it like stick to you? Like, why was that one the most um the, the one that resonated the most because i because it wasn't his and that's and i like the fact that he didn't come up with that idea he was sharing it from like anybody goes and picks up this book look i, I only became a reader in my 30s and mm. does that, unless you're really if you're not a great reader you're probably better off to list this on audible you know what I mean? <laughs> Play it back because he does right. digress off to different researches and different studies and different decades. You know what I mean? And he really goes off. Yeah. But the elephant really stuck me because that's, I can see where he's coming from. That if you're born into a certain society, but for some reason you don't feel like fit there, it's very hard for you to get that to change. 
what what is a key moment like thinking about that elephant right and like having having the elephant move in the direction that you wanted to move what's a key moment in the story of your salon where you had to move the elephant back to where you wanted it to go and why was it so important that it moved back um to you know the path that you wanted it to at that specific time okay 2008 when we had the global recession uh we were in two we had two salons our second salon was what was it, it was in a village in the suburbs of Ireland, and it was what the the statistics because we didn't just open it. We looked at the stats, and the stats were fastest growing village in Ireland, second most desirable place for young professionals to live. So we put a city, a beautiful city centre salon, smack bang in the village. Couple other salons, listen to other people around you because at one stage there was other salons thought the same, and they were going in. And my wife said, "I'm not getting a good feel for this." maybe we should pull out and my ego said why that person's not a hairdresser that's opening up across there they're not as good as us we'd be brilliant i have i had a girl come and working for me and i knew she was going to be amazing down there she was just a brilliant fit yeah and we're going to take off and we're going to run and we did take off and we did run mm. but we didn't get it wrong the globe of the world came to a stop and what happened was the fastest grown village didn't wasn't grown anymore and the second most is all those young professionals, the desirable professional people, didn't desire, didn't have the money to pay the mortgage. Right. But my other salon was in a nice affluent part of Dublin, and it was those parents that were bailing out the, their kids who bought the house down here out. So one day I just looked and I went, Jesus, I can't just keep riding this elephant. If I keep, well, it wasn't an elephant then, but if I look at it, I'd say, yeah. if I keep going on this way, I'm going to hurt my family. It could cost me a relationship because the tension is building up. And my accountant is a client of mine and she was in the chair one day. And I said to her, do you know what, Susan? I said, your ego could do some serious damage to you from the long term. And she says, where are we going here, Greg? And, and I said, I need to get back to one salon mm. because I know I'm ha I will be happier. If I can get back, I've, I've treaded the boards, I've had a look, it's not for me. And I'm doing it quick enough that I feel it's salvageable. If I leave it too long, I could lose everything. Right. So once I said it, I said, get me, a, you know, she got me the right solicitor. We went in, we we done it. We got back. We got back to one salon. My wife, I could see whoosh, the stress lifting off. Um, we hit the ground running from there on in. And I do feel like a chameleon. I evolve. And now as I, like one of my senior stylists called me up and says, what is it we're doing now? She's a year younger than me. What is it we're doing at the moment, Greg? What is it we're I said, we're in the process of reinvention because physically mm. our bodies might not be able to walk five days a week behind the chair, but we're, we're in a beautiful position that we can reduce our workflow. And if we were clever enough, I, I started my pension at 24. Yeah. The financial advisor had said to me, geez, you are very smart. I said, I'd love to say I was smart, but I just had a friend who was in insurance and we were having a beer one night and he was, he was selling, he was selling me a pension because you don't get a pension in that hairdressing game. You won't get anything. And so he was selling a product and I thought, yeah, you're probably right. So let's throw a few quid into the bucket. And as a, the bucket, as you know, life went on, we start putting more into the bucket. So eventually now the bucket's fairly safe that there's the security there. And I'm always drilling, uh, even down to in the team room. If you go into our team room, everybody has a little cheap tin that you buy in the Euro shop for yeah. putting your tips in. And I said to them, the power of compounding. Don't spend them tips. Put them in there. Open it when you're going on holidays. 
now when they, the excitement when somebody's going how they're opening up, hey, I'm a grand. Tell me, yeah, you wouldn't have that. Now, when you get to a stylist, put that in your pension. And then look at how you don't see how, because all of a sudden I'm 60. Where did 60 come from? You know, you know what I mean? You kind of go, wow. Yeah, time flies, eh? Listen, with your years of experience in the industry and the many challenging situations that you've faced, um, you've clearly become very skilled at recognizing elephant moments for what they are. Do you have any piece of advice for fellow industry professionals trying to become more aware of the challenges they might encounter? I've got to say something now, and probably anybody that's listening to this says, he can't keep, he must be joking. And sometimes it's learning how to keep that shut. So keep your mouth shut sometimes. Okay, so, and, and people might be surprised, I do, you know what I mean? And I do listen, keep them open all the time. Mm. You know, I always say, I'm a big soccer fan, and I've often done it with young people. I said, look, space, the best footballers in the world have, or the best sport, team sports have spatial awareness. People go, how did he see that move? Jesus, how did he? I said, and that's, be aware of what's happening around you all the time, so that you're able to, before, something becomes a big elephant you might actually be able to move the little elephant yeah. <laughs> and and then it's not such a big thing so maybe put it off so notice the thing be a be be present because sometimes we're not we're always wondering about how can we make more money it's like with me introducing dish yeah you know what i mean because i've realized that every manufacturer whether it's true or fable have told us that, that manufacturing costs have gone up you know, mm-hmm. could be convenient for them to say that, but, but but maybe it has, you know, and shipping costs and everything. So we can't really do anything about the cost going up. But one thing that we haven't done in our industry is watch where we can save yeah, and where we can save. And me, from an environmental point of view, because that's our sustainable journey we're on, is reducing the waste going down the sink. Plus, from the guest point of view, as, as one of my stylists said to me, a bit of an elephant moment because he was kind of going, well, if we were to change colour, if you do, if you were changing colour, why? You, you know, what if the client doesn't like? Because he is, he's afraid that you might think you're changing colour, and and I'm not because, but I'm an open mind, so I'm always looking. And he says, and I said, no, look, you have to remember, Darren, take your stylist hat off for a minute, put your salon owners, because someday you will manage you, you could be owning this business, you know. Yeah. I said, so put that on for a moment and think. The majority, what the client, the guests you're talking about, that say, you know. I don't really care about the environment. I don't really care about sustainability. I just care about my hair. Well, okay. Do you think we would take in a product that didn't work on the hair? Mm. Of course we're going to take in a product that works the hair. And I can guarantee you, most of them out there do. Because I've been in a lot of colour manufacturing factories and they ain't cheap places. So you don't go to a bank manager and say, can you give me, because one machine is 500, it's half a million. Can you give me half a million to make bad product? So they're all making good product. But the percentage you will gain of the people who are interested in that, mm. that might not have come to your salon or might be looking and say, which is the business that's sustainable? Who who doesn't, like as I'm saying, who, James, you know where a local salon, they're actually worried about the water supply in their area. They don't want to contaminate it by putting chemicals down it. So you're taking responsibility. And I always felt... The elephant thing again is if you if the elephant is small, slightly easier to move them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So why wait to be told something that is a must when you could have actually coaxed it, took control of the situation and moved it? So I just find now it's keeping 
the spatial thing, looking around, being aware of everything and tackling the situation that you know this is a movable elephant, but it's not it's not a herd of elephants. You don't want a herd yeah. of elephants, okay, moving nowhere. <laughs> and, and like I say, it, it has to be the fit. It has to be the right fit, you know what I mean? So sometimes somebody could be on your elephant. In other words, my salon as an, it could be an elephant to them and it's going this direction and they don't believe in it. Yeah. Well, that's fine. You can move off and, and, and find somewhere that does fit you because my journey might be too much away from yours. You might not care about that. You might not want to, you know, do certain things. Like You know, a lot of the sustainable journey we're on now, I think, I think most of the team really get it and are right behind it yeah. because I see them doing the stuff now when, when I'm not there, that they're put separating the rubbish, that they, they are a bit more conscious about, yes, they are disposable towels, but don't need to use five of them. I need to use two. Yeah. Like somebody said to me, well, I'm handing out, I already hand out what they need. And I'm going, yeah, but that's great, but I would rather you not have, I'd rather my receptionist not have to be counting towels out in the morning and say, we have 40 clients today, so that's 80 towels. Surely, the elephant situation is that we would tr- the people would be morally feel well. I only need that amount, or that hair only needs a shorter tail, or you know what I mean. So yeah. um, the dish thing with the reweighing of color and all, I know that's going to be a, a little bit of work to get people into that mindset. You know, to, it's so easy for me to move the elephant now if I if if I look at the salon yeah. because. When I show them all the things that we have, they buy into it. They kind of get it. And they go, yeah, oh, we get that. And, and I'm not throwing bouquets at Ronan and Forrest now, but I spoke to a TD recently, and I'm going to share this with you because it's a good moment for Ronan, and I think he deserves it, right? When the VAT rate was going to be increased here in Ireland, yeah. we, we were asked to contact. A local TD contacted me, and he says, Ah, but we've helped you out. And, and I said, look, here's the problem. If you put this fat rate up, you're going to drive people into the shadow economy because not every salon is struggling, but some of the smaller indigenous, indigenous salons that will lead on to greater things or are only grown could fall by the wayside. Because I said, let me tell you something about a company called Forest. And he said, who? I said, they're a small Irish company. They're based in Cable Street. They're a software. They started... 21 years ago, a young man walked into my business and said, I've just bought over style base. His name was Ronan. And I looked at him and said, how old are you, 12? Because he, he looked like a kid. And I said, but let me tell you, I said to the TD, he has grown that business to be one of the world leaders in salon software. And he thought he was getting away with just that. And I said, let me tell you, in January, I said, he had 560 salon owners and managers drop themselves into Dublin. How good is that for the economy of Ireland in January when hotels were empty and he was filling them up? I said, and I said 200 of them were over from the US, which is the home of tech. So they felt it was worthy to come to Ireland to experience this, an amazing event. And I said, and that was built on Irish hairdressing salons because if Irish hairdressing salons didn't exist, forest would not exist mm. i don't know how many employees are in forest what way it works but it's an around is very proud it's an irish company yeah very definitely. proud of that yeah and that's why i just thought sometimes we have to hit it it's not some fellow cutting with a, a bit of hair it's not somebody doing a blow dry that this guy 
who's a politician maybe just goes in a bar and gets haircut once every six weeks. It's what it spawns. It's the other industries that will be damaged if we we don't mind it. And I do always say to people, I'm I'm 38 years in this industry. I do school talks now, and somebody said, "Why are you doing?" It? I said, "Because this industry has given me so much." Like I've met people like yourself. I've met people when I was in the school last week talking. I said, "I've travelled the world." I said, "I've travelled the world," and what doing here? No, not doing here, but but connected to the industry. Yeah. I said, but but connected. I met people and dist- moved into distribution. I, you know, and I, and here I could see the young girl going, yeah. And she says, and I was you. I sat in that chair once. I sat in this school, this type of school. But I said, it's when you get the opportunity, find something you love doing. That's why I feel we're now getting down to the spoiler details with stylists and saying, find the areas of the industry you love doing. Yeah. And concentrate on them because people are very specific now. So you could have a, a fantastic career just doing balayage if you're that good. You could have a brilliant career doing short haircuts like me because that's my, that's what, if you were to ask me, what did I love doing? I love doing short haircuts. Why? Because in the 80s, everybody had short hair. So I'm bloody good at them. Ask yeah. me to get a wand out and curl, I'm all fingers and thumbs. Why? Because I was never that type of a hairdresser. So I to say my average clientele now, we look at my clients, they're usually 45 or over. Because mm. there's people with short hair. <laughs> and they trust me because they go, he was around when I was wearing that. I, I, I want me short back in size. I want me bob. My eldest client, and just give you a note of it, my eldest client is an 81-year-old man who is a school teacher who's traveled everywhere I've gone in Dublin. He's come to that salon. Wow. And I said to him there, like, why, why, why have you followed me, Jim? He says, you know what, Greg? He says, I wasn't that fussy about my hair. I, I liked to cut properly. He was a 70s dude, so he liked his hair over his ears and just looked, flick it back. Yeah. But he said, the conversation. He said, just the conversation. He said, you're, you're, always, you're always up to something. Or you're always thinking of something. And he said, if I could tap that into most of the students in school, he said, it'd be great. So, so I used to leave the chair buzzed and go back into school and I was buzzing then to tell people. And that was the compliment the teacher gave me last week when in there and I only spoke to hairdressing students and she said, would you come in and talk to all the TY? And I said, well, why? She said, because I'm buzzing after listening to you. She said, you, you, you're selling this school. You're selling where they are at the moment. And I don't think we're really getting that through to them, that they should be enjoying it. But while they're here, identify the things that they're good at. Yeah. And then when they get to leave... Don't be leaving because my points were so high because that's what sometimes it does. You're going to be, oh, you go in and, oh, you got these points, yeah, be a solicitor. Right, well, the last thing I want to do is sit in an office, mm, you know, yeah. and you look at the person and they're creative and you, they might have bleach blonde hair, they might have a tattoo. You go, you know, like if you were good at art, with how many people would have told you, go and be a tattoo artist. No, you wouldn't have done that. Now I would imagine you should say that to the person. Why? Because there's a livelihood. The bit of art that's behind you there, we had a shared yeah. story earlier. The guy's done art, on the, he's an artist, but he's able to do tattoos as well, so he's able to supplement it. As I feel, our industry as a hairdresser, a hair artist, once you learn the core skills and you've learned them and embraced them and practiced them often enough, that skill will never leave you. So I've no doubt that I would always be able to make a few quid. You know what I mean? Because I'll be able to do scissors walk. I'll be able to do something. My dream is that someday I might have to get you to book me for your birthday or something. <laughs> Somebody will pay me to, to play saxophone. <laughs> you know, but like somebody, my wife said to me, when are you playing the saxophone on the team night? I said, for the last tune. 
to clear everybody out. Greg's <laughs> <laughs> the sacks out, right? Finish the bus. <laughs> so anything else? <laughs> My last question for you, Greg. You shared yeah. with me recently, um, and I think it's something that it's important to share on air. You said getting older doesn't mean you're finished in the industry. You might just need to reinvent your role. And I think that's something that you've always been doing, reinventing your roles. What do you want your legacy to be? Well, before I go into that, I just think it's very important because there, I'm sure there's people out there of our generation that do listen to podcasts. But we successionary planning is something that wasn't in my vocabulary years ago. But as I got older, I've heard it. And, and I just don't think enough... My met people that went ahead of me, I've looked at them struggle to get out of their business in the end yeah. because they didn't want people to know they were ever going to get out because they were probably afraid people would leave or move. And I'm trying to come from an approach as being honest and open. So the team in my salon, I've told them I'm 60 now and 64 is my get out. I want to be stepping down as the salon owner. Right. But that doesn't mean I don't want to work there. I still want to work there. But I've been 30 years employed, being the employer, taking on people. But that's it. I sh- there should be enough money in the kitty for me to do the things I want to do at that age. They're not the things I thought I wanted to do when I was 30. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not 30 now. <laughs> so running five marathons in a month or doing what you've done in your gym. No, that's not me. But years ago, would have been. I would have thought I wanted to have five cars and... You know what I mean? Last night I was looking at camper vans. Yeah, yeah, me and Alison just jumped in the camper van. We could zip off. I don't want a, a big RV or just something simple. Yeah. So I think successionary planning is something that is a must in our industry. The plan when your time, put a time on it, figure out when you're going and plan how you're going to go and bring people along in the journey. Because I know I've, I've, there's two people in our team that I feel are the right fit to take over the business. One is my daughter and one is one of the senior stylists. Similar age groups, mm. similar energy levels. One is business side of it because she's the salon coordinator. The other is the senior stylist. To me, that's a perfect formula to work because myself and Alison's hairdressers had to learn how to wear the other hats and not just walk behind the chair. Yeah. And then we divided her up and I said, Alison, you're, you're head of education and I'm head of recruitment. You're doing payroll. I'm doing stock. So uh, what I've said to them is over the next four years, I'm going to bring you to events, going to teach us how to build your network, when to start thinking as a salon owner before you become one. So that when it transitions, because I want it to work, why? Because I'm not selling the business to some, I want to work here. (laughs) I still want to come in as a stylist. But it might be two days a month, two days a week, depending on who wants me. But I said, I still want to work here. And then I've other things I want to get involved, education, stuff like that. But, but, but it has to be, as I said to you, entrepreneur. I'm a, the world's first entrepreneur. It has to be fun to me. I have to get something out of it. And the, surprisingly enough, when you think of education, people think, oh, is a hair? And I go, no, I'm actually looking at, even if it's free, I don't care because money isn't the aim. It's me filling my time with stuff that I enjoy doing. And if somebody somewhere along the line can come up to me someday and say, hey, I heard you t- and that gave me the inspiration so being in that school last week just i was excited i didn't want it to end because i really just mm-hmm. just listening to the young people engaging with them and i and i still love it now like i love being in the team room with the younger members of the team listening to their excitement about doing things what they want to do where they want to go and if they want a bit of advice then you're there but you're not coming in yeah 
dictating to them and saying this is the way it is and that's the way it should always be and for therefore shut your mouth and say nothing because that generation are gone thank god and i think the younger generation that are coming through now we will learn so much of them because they're not afraid to speak up yeah people say there's a lot of anxiety in the world that's because the world is smaller now Mm. the stuff is pushed onto you you're made feel responsible for things that happen on the other side of the world because the world is so small because if you didn't pick up a paper, you didn't find, you didn't know there was an earthquake in Turkey years and years ago. Now, anybody that has a phone has got it. So right. you, if you're, you're you're worried, then you're, you're that's, that is that bit of anxiety. Anxiety, but we need to learn as older people how to help those people deal with them situations, <laughs> and that's their obligation. And that's, if you work in air in air business in air salon, my my thing is, look, I'll give you whatever you feel you need. To, to build a career in this industry because this industry has been nothing but amazing for me. And my fear is leaving it because I don't know whether I could ever find another industry that would give me the same. So I intended hanging around forever. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I feel like you're probably not the only person feeling that way. And that's why I always say to people, find things you love doing, get passionate about them, get into them, give it a 110% and let's and see where the soft bar takes you. See where the right goes because you don't know. But if you just mosey through it, then you, you look back and say, ah, I could have done more. So don't wait till you get yeah. to where I am and start saying you could have done more because I know I've done enough. You know what I mean? But I've more to, yeah. I've more to get to. I just hope that the, the forces out there are kind enough for me to keep me going. <laughs> Wise words to end this conversation on. Thank you so much, Greg, for your time. This has been fantastic. Uh, I always enjoy these conversations. It's been a pleasure. And to everybody in our big old world of hairdressing out there, keep doing what you're doing and may the hair force be with you. (laughs) May the hair force be with you. (laughs) Cheers, Zoe. Change, while destabilizing, also offers the potential for growth, innovation, and new opportunities. And change can come more easily when elephants and riders move together in harmony. I'll leave you with something to look into if you're interested in organizational development, strategies, and models. It's called Glacier's Formula. It was developed by David Glacier in the 1960s and later refined by Kathy Miller. The formula, which you'll be able to find in the episode's transcript, can help you identify what you'll need as a leader to overcome the psychological costs of change that are keeping you or your team stuck. Thanks for listening to Forest FM. And a special thanks to US-based listener B3Airs for this review on Apple Podcasts. What a great podcast. It is a very informative podcast station that hits on relative subjects for our industry. It's a podcast that's up-to-date, hip and informative, motivating and inspirational. It hits on things that will help you, your salon and staff grow. I've enjoyed the speakers that they have on here, as well as the subjects they choose to speak about. There are a lot of different topics to be able to reach you where you are. Do yourself a favor and listen to it. So, hey, if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or you too, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. As always, you can head over to forest.com forward slash FM to catch all the latest from the show and check out the links and resources mentioned throughout the episode. And if you've got any feedback, be sure to let us know. Send us an email at forestfm at forest.com. Brought to you by Forest Salon Software. Forest FM episodes air weekly.
sharing inspiring stories from the salon floor and amplifying community voices all over the globe. In your salon, we're at the heart of it. This episode was edited and mixed by Audio Z, Montreal's cutting-edge post-production studio for creative minds looking to have their vision professionally produced and mixed. Great music makes great moments.